This morning we'll continue our study in the book of Romans. So let me encourage you to follow along with me in your Bible. Romans chapter 5. God accomplishes salvation from beginning to end. He justifies us and He glorifies us eventually. That's what Romans 8 tells us. But how do we connect the two? When we think about it, in terms of justification, God loves us in justification. He declares us to be righteous. He loves us in the sense that He gives His Son for us. And we can see how God could love us in glorification because there we're completely without sin. So we can see that God would love us judicially to grant us the salvation. And we can see that God would love us in glorification by by making us to be like Him. And in that sense, we have no sin. So, so what's not to love? But how do we connect those two? Because we don't live we don't live in either one of those completely. We have been justified and we will be glorified. But now what do we do about the suffering that we now have? What what do we do with about about the indwelling sin? If God is pleased with us on the basis of justification and he will be pleased when we're fully changed, What in the world is going on? Because right now, I am a sinner. And all of these trials that I am facing right now feel like opposition from God. It feels like God is crushing me with tribulation. It feels like all hope is gone. And the truth is is that as we come to know more about what happened at justification and what God guarantees in overall salvation we come to know more about the peace of God. That objective reality that God is not at war with us. He is at peace with us. We come to be confident in our future destiny. And amazingly, we are confident in what God did and what He will do even despite the present and apparent opposition. And that's what we will see this morning. That God loves us even though we are not yet glorified. He loves us now. Romans 5, verses 1-11 through will be the focus of our attention this morning. So let me read that passage for us, beginning with verse 1. This is the Word of God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of the God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. But while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But but God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Peace with God is a reality. And peace with God gives us confidence that God will save us from His wrath. We need peace with God. Chapter 5 here marks a new section. Look at the first word in verse 1. It says, Therefore. Paul begins in verse 1 with a summary of what he has been showing in chapters 1 through 4. And what has he been showing? That we have been justified by faith. You see that the first part of verse 1? This is what I've been showing in chapters 1 through 4. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith and not works, these are the implications. This is what it looks like to live our lives as Christians. And there are four implications of our justification by faith in this passage. There is peace with God. There is confidence of future glory. There is confidence despite trials. And there is confidence in salvation from God's wrath. So number one, the first implication of being justified by faith is that we have peace with God. Justification by faith means peace with God. Present peace with God. The opposite of peace is what? It's war. The truth is is that God is at war with every works-depending human on the planet. And they are at war with Him. They are living in rebellion against Him, their Creator and their Master. But those who have faith in the finished work of Christ, they are not at war. Paul says we have peace with God. We have peace. Do you notice the tense of that verb? It's present. We have peace with God. It's the kind of peace that calls for a celebration, like a parade after our troops come back from war. It's the kind of peace that we now have with God. Why? It's because Christ bore the wrath that we deserved when, we, when He died on the cross. Christ bore it all. That's what the end of chapter 3 was about that God has become just and the justifier of the one who trusts in Jesus. We are no longer at war, Christians. We are no longer in fear of God's judgment because we have peace. Now you might be thinking, but I don't have peace. I have anxiety with God. And this passage is not talking about the subjective peace that ebbs and flows with our feelings. That's not the peace that Paul is promising that all who are justified by faith have. Instead, he's talking about the objective peace that is the settled, judicial, courtroom kind of peace. No longer are these two parties at war. They are reconciled. There is nothing that that keeps them apart anymore. Before, it was our sin, wasn't it? It was our rebellion. And that's all been taken care of. So we have objective peace like that. You know, a person who lived in prison most of his life might feel unsettled outside of prison, but that doesn't change the fact that he is free. He may still feel that he is bound and that he always has to be looking over his shoulder. But that doesn't change the fact that he is free. And so if you feel unsettled 
about your relationship with God that doesn't mean that you are, that you don't have a relationship with God. You were at war with God since the time that you were born. And at some point, you realized your bondage to sin and your enmity toward God and you believed in Christ. And what Paul is saying is that's enough. Did you believe in Christ? Then you're justified. You are set free. You are not at war. You are are released from the prison, the captivity of sin. And you're at peace with God. It is an objective reality. In this passage, Paul is going to end where he started. So let's skip down to verse 11 because he, he starts out with a summary saying, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends with a similar statement in verse 11. After saying all these other realities of being justified by faith, he says in verse 11, and not only this, but we also exult in our God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have now received it. He summarizes this great implication of our justification by faith. That is, that that when we come to God, our right standing, that's what justification is, our right standing before God is not dependent on our works. That's what chapters 1-3 through are about. It's not based on our works because if it were, we'd all fail. We don't have enough good in us to have a right standing before God. We need God to do something on, on our behalf. He needs to justify us by grace. And so if that is the case, then we have reconciliation. That's what he's talking about here in verse 11. I want you to notice who the actor is in our reconciliation. Notice our... Maybe I could put it this way. Are we active or are we passive in our reconciliation? Look at the verse again. We also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, notice this passive tense verb, we have now received the reconciliation. We are passive in our reconciliation. We are passive in our peacemaking with God. We're passive in the sense that God has to do the work for us. That is, we could not come to God apart from God reconciling Himself with us. In other words, we are not the ones who initially set out on a mission to reconcile ourselves to God. God first reconciles us. Our peace, our reconciliation is similar to our regeneration and even our faith. And that is that they are all gifts from God. And because of this reconciliation, notice what Paul says about this in verse 11. We exalt... We boast in this. We can't boast in ourselves. Our works don't do enough. There's not a high enough pile that would cover all of our evil, our offenses before God. And so what do we boast in? Not ourselves. We don't boast in our faith. Faith is not a work. But we boast in God. We boast in what He's done. We boast in God's grace. We exult in God. Justification by faith means, number one, peace with God. Number two, justification by faith means confidence of future glory. Verse two, justification by faith means confidence of future glory. The second implication of being justified by faith and not by works is that we are confident of future glory. Look at verse two. Through whom, that is Jesus, we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. 
we are not only confident in our present standing before God, that we have present peace, but we're also confident in the future reality of a permanent dwelling within the presence of the Almighty God. In other words, there's a very real sense that we have where we know that we will be with God. Christ returneth. Hallelujah! When that day comes, we'll sing it. Are you confident of that today? Are you confident of your future glory? If you are, then you can attribute that to the work of the Spirit. Because only the Spirit within you testifies with your spirit, according to Romans 8, that you are a child of God. And children know that they are going to live with their Father. And we will one day. We will live in the midst of His unshielded presence. Right now, we cannot come into His presence because of our condition. We'll learn more about that as we study through this book. But but one day, we'll be able to enjoy His unshielded presence where God will live among His people and He will be our God and we will be His people. And so because of all this, we boast in God, yes, but we also boast in this hope. We, we praise God for this hope. Justification by faith means peace with God. It also means confidence of future glory. And then number three, justification by faith means confidence in God despite trials. Confidence in God despite trials, verses 3 and 4. It, it may be easy to boast in our salvation and our peace with God when things are going well, when, when it feels like things are going well. But Paul takes it one step further and he says, not only do we boast in that, but we boast in our trials as well. Look at verse 3. And not only this, do we boast in this hope of glory, but we also exalt or boast in our tribulations. We don't simply exalt in God. Yes, we do do that. But we don't simply exalt in our future glory. That is true. But we also boast in our present sufferings. We boast in our present trials. How can this be? How can we take joy in our present sufferings? Do we just imagine that they're not there? Do we pretend like our trials are fun? Do we pretend like they're not happening at all? And the reason that we can boast in our trials is found at the end of verse 3 through verse 5. And it is that we can boast in our trials because we know that they are temporary and they are eternally beneficial. They are temporary in, in their, their time right, and in, in how long they will last. But they are eternally beneficial. They are spiritually beneficial. That's how we can boast in our trials because we know that they're temporary. We know that trials are only for this lifetime. The trials will be gone in the next lifetime, won't they? And we don't live for this lifetime. This is only temporary. This is just a really small dot on the radar. In the big scheme of eternity, we live for the next life. And so these trials are momentary, as Paul says, momentary and light affliction, which produce in us an eternal weight of glory. So we can boast in them because they are only temporary in time, but also they are eternally beneficial or spiritually beneficial. That's how we can boast in our trials. We know that our trials are purposeful. We know that the, the road 
to glory is paved with crooked turns and severe obstacles. But it does not discourage us, does it? It actually encourages us because we know that God sent us down this way for our spiritual good. That every single one of our trials was meant by God for our good. So when we go a different direction than we wanted to go, we recognize God must have led us to here. We are like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings who is on a mission to destroy the ring because he knows the great power for evil that the ring has. And while the pathway to Mordor is filled with trouble and potential for death, he continues on because in the end he knows it's worth it all. Yes, there are obstacles. Yes, there are detours. But we know that they're all ultimately designed for our end, for our good, and for God's glory. For God's glory. Friends, that is how we as Christians look at trials. We don't invite them. We don't wish for them or pray for them. But we welcome them when they come because we know if they came, they came as a result of God. And in the end, it will be worth it all. That God will bring about spiritual good through my trials. Do you believe that this morning? Do you remember what Joseph told his brothers in Genesis 50? He said, God used the evil that you brought on me for good. Is that what he said? God used the evil for good? No, he said God meant it for good. Do you see the difference? God doesn't take what's given to him. Oh, I wasn't really expecting you to give me that hand. So this difficult hand that I'm being dealt, I'm going to try to use it to actually win the game. That's not how it works. No, God's saying, I meant it for good. Everything that happens in your life is meant for your good, for God's glory, if you're a believer. God brought it about. God was the one who led Joseph to Egypt. It wasn't his brothers, ultimately. It was God. God planned every event of Joseph's life. God plans every event. He has planned every event in your life, including the worst terror that we have ever faced and even including the worst sin that we've ever committed. God has planned it all for your good and for His glory. Because in the end, these trials bring about something good. Now, what kind of trials is Paul talking about? Or tribulation. When he says, we exalt in our tribulation, what kind of tribulations is he talking about? Is he talking about only those tribulations that are directly connected to our relationship with Christ? No, we can receive trials because of that, right? We, we speak the name of God. We can be dismembered from our... We can be removed from our family. I mean, maybe not dismembered ultimately, but, but unmembered. How about that? Could be we're talking about that, that maybe as a result of our relationship with Christ, we receive certain kinds of persecutions. Or it could be that he's actually talking about all kinds of trials. Whatever kinds of trials. Because you recognize you have some trials that are common to other people. That the believers and unbelievers suffer the same kinds of trials that you do. So what is Paul talking about? I, I think he's talking about all kinds of trials. And if you think about it, in terms of where we are, 
We live in a time between this world and the next. Between what life is and what life should be. We live in the present world of darkness and we await the future kingdom of light. And so in that sense, every one of our trials is a kind of groaning that comes as a result of of the rebellion that this whole world has against God. And in that sense, all of our sufferings in this life are not normal. They're not usual. They're, they're temporary. And so I think every trouble that comes your way, whether it's common to man or not, is what God uses to strengthen you spiritually. So when Paul says, we boast in our tribulations, he's not talking about just we boast in our persecutions because of Christ's sake. He's saying any type of tribulation that comes your way, we, we boast in that. You know why? Because God uses that for His, good, for His glory. Notice the strengthening effect that trials have on your souls. First, at the end of verse 3, tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance can only be learned through suffering. Jesus learned perseverance. It can only be learned through suffering. So, when you suffer, you should be thankful to God. Because God is using it to, to produce something good in you. Perseverance. And when you have that perseverance, it produces, notice next, verse 4, proven character. It marks you as authentic when you stand the test of the, the trial. When, when you make it the other end without turning your back on God. When you make it to the end of your life and say, yes, God, I still trust You even though You slay me. That's proven character. That says, God, I, I will trust You no matter what You bring my way. No matter what's taken from me. And that's what compels Christ to say, well done good and faithful service. You did not turn away. Instead, you bore fruit. That's proven character. So, so we can be thankful for tribulations, can't we? Because they produce perseverance and perseverance pr- produces proven character and proven character produces hope. Now, there is a sense in which the newest Christian has this. Someone who were saved today, they would have hope. right? They would have confidence. It's a, a settled confidence in what God will do. But I hope you also recognize but that the longer that a person is a Christian, the stronger that hope becomes. The more and more that we release our grip from the things of this world and hold firmly onto God and to His promises which are to come, the more hope we have. That's why the Scriptures could say, I think we just saw it in chapter 4, right, of Abraham who in hope against hope trusted in God. And God credited that to him as righteousness. See, we can be thankful. We can exalt. We can actually boast in our trials because they produce something good in us. They are temporary, but they're spiritually, eternally beneficial. How do we know that this hope is real, though? If this produces in us hope, how do we know it's real and not just a whim like when I blow up my candles on my birthday cake, right? How do I know that this hope is real? And look at the answer here in verse 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The reason we can know this hope is real is because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to testify to us, is to make it clear to us that we are children of God 
to make it clear to us that this hope is real, that this God is real, that, that this, these promises are worthy and that these trials are worth suffering for. So, justification by faith means, number one, peace with God. And then, secondly, confidence of future glory. Thirdly, confidence in God despite trials. And then, number four, justification by faith means confidence in salvation from God's wrath. Confidence that we will be rescued from God's wrath. Verses 5-10. to Do you know what our hope is based on? It's testified by the Spirit that lives within us, but our hope is based on something that's real and something that's already occurred, and it is God's love. Verses 5-8. to Ultimately, these trials will lead to a greater confidence in God and His promises, and this hope is as strong as we use it. That is, the, the more we put into it, the more we'll get out of it. If you are lacking in hope this morning, maybe you need to build that spiritual muscle. Maybe we don't hope because we don't think about what that hope means, what that hope is based on, the more that we have confidence in that God who loved us and that Jesus who saved us, the more hope we will have, the surer our hope will be. We do not fear the outcome of the trials because the Holy Spirit has been given to us and He confirms to us that we are the children of God. But how can we know something that feels subjective how can we know something like God's love for me? Because we're, we're constantly singing about God's love and how He loves us. How can we know something that feels subjective? And the answer is found in verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We can be confident in the subjective sense of God's love by basing it on the objective reality of Christ's finished work. Do you know how you can sense God's love for you? Look at what Jesus did. Our hope is not a wish or a whim. It's a fixed and settled confidence in what we know will come to pass. And it's based on what has come to pass. And that is Jesus' death. He died for us. Notice when He died for us in verse 6. While we were still helpless. While we were in a position where we were unable to help ourselves. That's when Christ died for us. You see, Christ didn't die for righteous people. The healthy don't need a doctor. It's the sick. The people who recognize they need Christ. He didn't die for righteous people. He didn't die for those who were worthy of His love, right? He died for the helpless. While we were still helpless, that's when Christ died for us. And then notice in verse 6, the second part of verse 6, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So we're described as helpless and ungodly, and this is who Christ died for you. For That, that was you and I. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We hated God and loved our godless Master. Not only were we unable to turn to God, but we had no desire to do so, Romans 8 tells us. And it was at that time when Christ said, yes, I'm going to die for Him. I'm going to die for her. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? We sing that song. And, and yet, the, the idea of that song is, in a sense, we were there. 
Because we are no different than the mockers who scorned Him. We're no different than the rulers that approved His death. We're no different from the soldiers who beat Him. And no different from the Jews who rejected Him. There's nothing special in us that God said, I see something good in Him, so I'm going to die for Him. No, He saw nothing good in us. We were helpless. We were ungodly. We were no different from all those people who put Him on the cross. And yet that is the kind of Savior we have. That He died for us even though we are like they. Ungodly. Helpless. And then notice verse 8. Sinners. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See what Paul's doing here? He's reinforcing the point that he's made before. Your salvation, your justification, your right standing before God did not come as a result of anything that you did. It came as a result of God's grace. It was not of works so that you could not boast. It was all of grace. Christ died for the ungodly, the helpless, the sinners. So consider with me the deep, deep love of Jesus this morning. Look at verse 7. Notice how deep this love is. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. Think about this for yourself. Who is the one person in the world that you would do anything for? Who is the one person for whom you would give up your Saturdays, your day of rest to serve them? Or for whom you would give up thousands of dollars from your bank in order to pay for something that they wanted or needed? Who who is the one person that if they were put in jail, you would be willing to take their place if it guaranteed that person's freedom? Who is the one person that you would actually die for? There may be somebody like that for you. That you love them so much that you would die. But now imagining, do it, uh, imagine with me doing all those things. Giving up your Saturday to serve them. Imagine doing it for your worst enemy. Imagine giving them thousands of dollars of your money. Imagine... Uh, imagine taking their place in prison. Imagine dying for them. Who would do that? And the answer is none of us would. No one of us would die for our worst enemy. And yet, Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus would do. And that's exactly what He did. He died for you and me. We were His worst enemy. And so here's the point. We can be confident. We can have hope. We can have confidence in our salvation from God's wrath, that we're going to be rescued from God's rightful wrath on us because of the objective reality of Christ's love for us displayed on the cross. It's the objective reality that assures us that we are God's and He is ours. And it's based on a fact of history, which is that Jesus died for sinners. See, this justification by faith gives us confidence that we will be saved from God's wrath. And our hope is based on that finished work of Christ. It's also based on our justification and reconciliation, verses 9 and 10. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Our salvation, our hope, our confidence in salvation from God's wrath is also based on the judicial reality 
that, that we are justified. God says, all who come to Me in faith will be justified. And all who are justified and reconciled to God, that have that peace, that peaceful relationship with God, they will, according to verse 9, they will be spared from God's eternal wrath. And so we can have confidence on the day of judgment. We don't have to stand there in fear with our knees knocking, wondering what we're going to say to God. Because we know what God has done for us. We know that we've trusted in Christ's finished work alone. We not our own works of righteousness, but what He has done. And so we know that God will accept us on that basis. As we come to know more of our justification and our reconciliation, our peace with God, it actually serves to to bolster our confidence in God and in this hope that we have. That's why verse 9 begins with much more than. And then verse 10 much more, the second part of the verse, much more having been reconciled shall we be saved. So if we have been justified, how much more will be saved from His wrath? If we have been reconciled, how much more will God spare us from an eternal hell? We are saved from God's wrath because of our justification, because of our reconciliation, and we boast in that. Friends, every Christian is justified by faith, not by works. And therefore, We have present peace with God. We have confidence of future glory. We have confidence despite ongoing and difficult trials. And we have confidence in final salvation from God's just wrath. So let me give you two challenges this morning. Number one, be confident that God loves you. There are two reasons from this passage that you you should know that God loves you. He gives you His Holy Spirit in verse 5. The Holy Spirit has been given to you to confirm that you're a child of God. And second reason you should know that you're loved by God is that Christ died for you. The Spirit lives within you and Christ has died for you. Know God's love for you. Be confident in, in that. Are you, are you sure that Christ died? Are you sure that He died for you? Was His payment enough? Or did God need something else to add to it in order to satisfy His wrath? Understand this, God loves you now just as much as He did when you first believed. You may may be thinking, you know, I've done some pretty terrible things as a Christian. And I've even done some pretty terrible things this week. But if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, if your faith is based on what Christ has done, then God loves you just as much now as when you first believed. And God loves you just as much now as you, He will love you when you're glorified. Consider that. You see, God doesn't look away from you because of your sin right now. You know, you're so imperfect and unfinished and hideous. Like the, the, the parent who doesn't like the baby. I, I don't like the baby. You, you grow up and then I'll love you. No, He loves the child because He's chosen to love the child. That's the way God is with us. He loves us at the beginning. He loves us during this growth process. And He loves us at the end. And God loves you just as much now as He loved you when you first believed and, and as much as He will when you come to be like Him in the sense that you are glorified. Second challenge is to watch out for the wiles of the devil. It's not surprising that Satan will come along and try to make you think that you're not worthy of heaven. 
Satan will come along and say that, you know, your faith is, is not strong enough to be accepted by God. And, you know, the road ahead is too long and you're not going to be able to persevere. You're not going to make it. You see what he's doing there? He's putting all the focus not on what God has done, what He has promised, what He will do. He's putting all the focus on you and what you've done and what you will do. You know what our response ought to be? Hey, recognize we're not having an actual conversation with Satan, but, but it comes in the form of our flesh and, and when the world speaks through these various forms, our response ought to be, Satan, all those things are true. My faith was not strong when I first believed. My faith will not be strong. My, my, my perseverance may be weak. My faith was weak, it is weak, and it will be weak. But my hope is not built on my ability. My hope is not built on my strength. It's not built on my works. It's not built on my perseverance. And God's not going to accept me for those reasons. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My faith, was the, what, my faith simply was the means by which God declared me not guilty. My faith did not earn me anything. It's not a wage that God has to pay me back because I believed. It's simply the means by which I received it. The, the, the reason that I have hope is because of God's grace. And you know, Satan, I know that my Savior is strong. And He's so strong that even when my faith is weak and when my works are inadequate and my perseverance is waning, I know that my Savior will hold me strong until the end. And I know that my Savior will finish the work that He started in me. No amount of my goodness will make up for all the evil that I've committed against my loving Master. And that's okay. Because every day I swim in an ocean of God's grace and my standing before Him does not depend on my goodness. It depends solely on His grace. Let's pray. Father, in one sense, the doctrine of justification by grace alone is fearful because we feel in a sense, unable to, to change our condition. We want to have the control from beginning to end. And yet, this causes us, this, this truth causes us to depend upon You more. We, we want, the, we want the, the approval, the, the right standing. We want all that written up in documents and then given to us and then we can just live our lives as we please. We, we want to kind of go on with our lives without depending on You. But Lord, what this doctrine proves to us is that we need to depend upon You from beginning to end. Because it is all of Your grace. And only those that You save will persevere to the end. So our perseverance, while it doesn't bring about our salvation, it certainly is the natural result of it. And so we work hard with You to bring about that final glory. And we know that, that in the end we won't be able to boast in what we have done, but only in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We, we, we are confident in His righteousness and His death. We are confident that, that You are true to Your promise, 
that You grant justification to all who believe and those who receive it, receive it by grace. Thank You for the grace that You pour out on us regularly. And Lord, You you never fail us. You are so faithful to us. Lord, we can be so subjective in our thinking when it comes to salvation because we go up and down with the trials that come. We, we go up and down in our feelings with, with our own sin. And as a result, you feel far away. But, but that doesn't change the fact that we've been freed from prison. So help us, Lord. Be confident in this peace that we have with you in your future glory, in our future glory. And to be confident in the present trials, knowing that they produce something good in us and that they are only temporary. And then also that, that we would be confident that, that we will be saved from Your eternal wrath. Lord, give believers confidence today. May Your Spirit testify with their spirits that they are children of God. Help them to know most clearly this morning of the great love that Jesus showed to each of them when He died for them while they were ungodly, while sinners, while helpless. I'm thankful that He did the same for me. In Jesus' name, amen.